But if we can take away all the policies and processes that are required and you get it right down to the absolute core things that are needed from the customer, then you've improved the experience, you know, a hundredfold. Welcome to the Loss and Transformation podcast series dedicated to the complex world of digital transformation. We feature guests from large corporations, startups, consultancies, and more to shed light on the success factors around innovation, transformation, and adjacent topics. We share firsthand insights and inspiration from experts for all the entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs, and anyone curious about digital transformation. Strother came in to, quote, do the digital thing. How does a marketer who's taken up digital and social leadership roles at Lenovo and Starhub transform e-commerce to complement retail? We talked to Rod to find out how he transformed the digital experience. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Rod. Uh, happy to Hi. have you here today. I'm happy to have you as part of our Loss and Transformation podcast. And at Minglab, we're also very strong believers in storytelling. So with our episodes in Lost and Transformation, we want to tell the stories of our innovation and transformation heroes. So today we want to hear your story of transformation and your journey. So as a former VP of digital transformation at Starhub, maybe you can start by sharing your story of how did things work before your journey? Like how was the situation when you entered Starhub? Well, I think Starhub had an appetite for digital transformation. And I think a, a lot of that was down to the CMO at the time, who was a guy called Howie Lau, Howie's now over at IMDA. But he was one of the, the innovators over at Lenovo. And that's where I first, first came into contact with Howie. He'd gone over as CMO probably about five, six months before I joined. And he really had a vision of how he wanted along with the CEO, of how he wanted to be able to transform the company. And I remember when Howie first approached me about joining, his brief was, come over and do that digital thing. That was sort of how loose the brief was. And I went in and I sat down with the CEO and he talked to me about his vision and, and where he wanted to take Starhub at that time. And originally, as I said, my brief was, come in and do that digital thing. And I got a call in the evening and said, we want to talk to you about something different. Having had the conversation, we want to talk to you about digital transformation. And I said at the time, what do you mean by digital transformation? Because it means, you know, a plethora of different things. Well, it's a bit of this, it's a bit of that. And it was obvious there wasn't a clear definition of exactly what digital transformation meant for the company. Also, there was an idea of the sort of areas that they wanted to transform in. There wasn't a clear definition of, of what it meant to the company. And I said, look, at the end of the day, I'm just a marketer. I'm not an expert on things like supply chain management or you know, investor relations, things like that. I said, digital transformation touches all of those different areas. I don't worry, we'll figure it out. And it was very typical of Howie to take that sort of attitude with a, a little bit of a, a ready, fire, aim attitude. Because that was very much the Lenovo way. Um, and I know we're going to talk about Lenovo later. But that was very much the Lenovo way, was if we sit around and wait to get it absolutely right, the competition will already have moved ahead. If we do it to what we think is the right way to do something, 
and then we tweak it along the way to make it even better, we have a first mover advantage. That was sort of the, the Lenovo way. And Howie, I think, I don't want to speak for him, but I think he took a little bit of that into StarHub with him. And that's essentially what we did, was to go in and try and transform within the company. And to be honest, trying to transform within a company that had been incredibly successful doing what it did in the way that it did things was difficult because you're coming in and saying, well, you know, whether you wanted to take a couple of examples, if you wanted to try and transform something like e-commerce and which sat under underneath my team. So e-commerce was something crucial for the company. Well, at least I thought it was, it was crucial for the company and a, you know, a number of us did. But I think there was a belief that e-commerce was, and to quote one of my good friends there, was, was taking away our rice bowl. So if you were, you know, you were responsible for the retail shops, the physical shops, then there was an attitude that something like e-commerce was taking away the rice bowl. But what you were trying to convince was actually this is another critical area in order for us to drive in sales. Because the person that wants to go online and wants to buy through your online shop is not necessarily the same person that's going to go all the way to next mall to go into the retail shop anyway. Quite a different audience. So rather than carve up the pie, actually you could be increasing the pie. That was sort of part of the the sort of attitude change that we needed to make. Whether they simply wanted to just go into the, the retail shop, we would improve the experience for them as a direct result. But if you made the focus, your digital customers, who were the most demanding because they expected things now, 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 because they were comparing you to an Amazon or a Lazada, they were comparing your app to, you know, the best apps in the marketplace, like a DBS, you know, a digital bank, and they were comparing it to that experience. So if you said, that's the bar, is our digital customers are setting the bar, then indirectly it improves for everybody. So what am I doing? Yeah. So being quick on my feet, and as I said earlier, you know, I'm a marketer. I said to the CMO, I said, look, let me focus on, on my job. Let me focus on the marketing piece of digital and all around the digital experience side, which then covered, you know, from startup.com to e-commerce to social media. We insourced social media. We fired our agency, we terminated the contract with our agency, and we brought all of social in-house. So everything from community management to strategy, content, advocacy, social listening, social analytics, everything in-house, we built up a team in there, which was, I mean, I'd done it over at Lenovo, obviously, at a global level, but doing a local level was a very different challenge. First of all, it gave us much faster go-to-market and it also, to be honest, it, it was more cost effective. Certainly, you know, I wouldn't necessarily say everybody should do it, but it was more cost effective for us. But I'll give you a lesson. There's one lesson. I know we always want to look at sort of lessons learned. I was asked recently, I was interviewing at a job recently, and the person said to me, oh, I'm really interested because we're looking at insourcing. And they said, what do you recommend it? You know, are you for insourcing or for outsourcing? And I don't think there's a, a yes or no on that. I used to really believe in insourcing as much as you possibly can, but I heavily caveat it with an understanding of the type of organization that you work for. Here's the reason why. is when you, when you have an agency, 
and you have an agency carrying out, you know, everything, whether it's social advertising, whatever. But if they're carrying everything out for you and you decide, well, we're going to insource that, we'll save ourselves some money. It'll be faster than our go-to-market. So we're going to insource. When your company has to do cost reduction and they start to look at all the different areas where they need to reduce costs and headcount comes up, if the parts that you've insourced then suddenly get cut, it's a very different proposition than when you're trying to trim dollars with the agency. Now, I'm not saying it's easier to turn around and say to the agency, you've got 500,000 less, you know, than it is to cut people within your team. Not about that. But if you went to the agency and said, look, we spend X million with you, I need to be able to save $300,000 or, you know, half a million, whatever. The agency turns around and says, okay, well, we're not going to be able to do these campaigns. You know, we'll have to cut these campaigns or we'll have to cut this activity. And you cut your cloth accordingly. When it happens to you internally and you suddenly got to cut costs, then you're cutting people out. And if you've insourced something like your community management, who are managing all your Facebook pages, IG, whatever, and you've got to cut down from being six people and you've got to cut that down to two people, well, guess what? Then your whole customer experience then starts to suffer. Yep. Because that sort of turnaround within, you know, four hours, six hours, whatever your commitment is to the customer, that suddenly gets impacted. And that has a knock-on negative effect. Because if, you know, you're not responding to me because, hey, you used to be fast at responding to me and now you're not, then I go back and guess where the first place is that you complain. You're going to complain on Facebook. And it's just a snowball effect. So that can really have, if you work in a company where you think that that's likely to happen or you know, you've got some history of that being the way that they approach cost-cutting, then I'd be a, a slightly hesitant about doing that. If you're completely in control of your own team and you're, you know, you're under the pressures to cut where you feel best, then maybe, but that can be tough, having experienced that myself, that you know, that made things harder. I know that made things harder for us. You mentioned earlier, and especially on the, on the retail transformation, the, the, the e-commerce side, uh, initial attitude of people was, you're taking away my rice bowl. But then in the end, you managed to actually grow that really well. So what was that journey then in the middle of mindset shifts, of working with the retail people, figuring out these differences? What did that look like? Well, I think a, a big part in there is, is data and being able to provide, you know, People would show me the numbers is what the reaction you would get from a lot of people. And what we were able to do was to show that, be careful about giving, <laughs> giving away too much information. But one of the things that we were able to do, and I, you know, I always pride myself in a way of, I'm not the smartest person in the room. I like to surround myself with people much smarter than me. That's how I learn. But it also allows me to ask stupid questions. And I remember being in, in a room with the analytics team and say to them, if someone goes on to starhub.com and they go into the online shop, one of the things that they will put in is their hub ID. So, you know, I don't know if you guys are customers, but you put in a hub ID. If you go through the journey, at the end, the, you know, there's only one of two outcomes. You buy or you don't buy. But if you've started the journey, you either finish the journey or you abandon the cart at some point. Okay? Right. 
Then there's another potential that happens after that is when you go into the shop, the physical shop. If you went into the physical shop, say, Christine, you go into Next and you buy from the Starhub shop at Next. Well, guess what? You have a hub ID. So if you're an existing customer, you've got a hub ID and you go through that same process. So I either captured the hub ID over here in the physical shop, I've captured it there, or, and I've captured it in the online shop. So I said to the guys, let's say that a customer journey is, you know, Christine goes in, she does all of her browsing, you know, in the online shop, and she gets to the point and says, well, I really wanted to get that new Samsung, but I want it now. I want it like this afternoon. So I'll just go into the physical shop. So you abandon the car, having found out all the prices and chosen which colors and, you know, what gig you want and everything else. And you've decided, well, this is the model that I want. This is it. Great. I've got all the information. I know it cost me this amount of money and I can recontract. And this is what I do. I'll go into the shop then. Well, I captured all of that on the journey and I know that you abandoned it. And this is where the light bulb moment was for everybody. I said, can we just do a dejupe? I said, so if you dedupe all the people that started, you know, you, you dedupe those journeys, the hub ID, you can dedupe this set of hub IDs against the hub IDs of everybody who bought in the shop, and you can see where you've got dupes. And everybody kind of looked at me and went, I said, don't we do this anyway? Have we never done it? Have we never done it? So essentially what we were able to do, and I, I won't give the numbers away, but essentially what we were able to do was to look at the percentage of people who start the journey but and either complete or finish in the shop. So out of 100 people, we could see the percentage that start an online shop and finish in physical shop. So rather than taking away your rice bowl, I'm actually feeding you. So I'm, I'm, right. you know, I'm actually providing you. Now, from a profitability point of view, and you know, you could argue this, it's more profitable if you finish the journey in the online shop because I'm not then paying sales commissions, etc. And I complete the journey there. So what we looked to do was that everybody, because my team was, you know, one of our big targets was around online sales. And both online sales as in hard numbers but also online sales as a percentage of total sales. I mean, those are the numbers I'm not going to give away. But And what we did was we looked at that percentage split of online and offline. We looked at the percentage split that we could tell from the data that we had that started the, the journey. So out of 100 people, what was the percentage that bought in the actual online shop and how many that started their journey in the online shop bought in the physical shop? And our aim was over a year was to change the ratio so that we could change the ratio that way, was to really try and get as many people to complete the journey in the online shop. Now, there was a couple of ways that we did that. One was in changing the user experience. Now, the user experience was really dictated by not just our own capabilities, but was dictated by policies and processes. And that goes back to you asked, Sebastian, you asked right at the top, what was the difference before and after? Well, I think one of the big differences was that the online shop had just been a case of 
we need to have an online shop. You know, it's a necessary, it's almost a necessary evil. We need to have an online shop. And so the online shop was put together around exactly the same processes that the physical shop was. So if you went into the, you know, you go into the physical shop and you have to fill in this form and provide this documentation and everything else, well, let's just transfer that into the online shop. What a, what a bloody awful online experience that leads to. So we had processes in there that would take, you know, 25 minutes. And really for something that you should be down to between four to six minutes. So if you wanted to recontract, that should be taking you four, four to six minutes. Should be very, very simple to recontract. But because there was all the documentation required, then it took longer and you had to scan it. And, and guess what? I might as well just go into the shop. So that goes back to you know why people started the journey but completed it in the shop. So what we did was we sat down with all the compliance team, with the legal team, with finance, etc., and got everybody around the table. And this shows you where the mentality and the thinking and the appetite started to change because these guys are sitting there saying, yeah, we can do without that. We don't need that because if the customer does this and this, then I can take away this form. I don't need this. I don't need this uploaded. And suddenly the journey starts to be collapsed down into instead of, you know, 25 steps, you're suddenly collapsing it down into, you know, six steps or whatever. And it's much, much faster and a much better experience. You know, our job for the digital team is then to, you know, improving the UI, improving all that, that front end. But if we can take away all working with the rest of the teams, we can take away all the policies and processes that are required and you get it right down to the absolute core things that are needed from the customer then you've improved the experience, you know, a hundredfold. And that showed on the, the results and the increase in sales for online and the, the ratio between online to offline. Was there actually anything, because you mentioned the, the incentives and, and sales commissions, obviously that is also a core issue potentially where people in the offline shop might then actively start to sabotage the online piece and say, no, don't do that. Come on, stay here, etc." Was there anything about the incentives that was done? I think one of the key things that happened was to relook at the role of the shops. Was really relooking at that the role of the shops because there are, you know, I think for not just talking about startup, but for any business, there are things that you can do in a shop that are just really difficult online, just because of the very nature of the product and the buying process. That if You know, if you went in, if you wanted to buy a, a TV plan and a broadband plan and a mobile plan and you wanted to do all of that and wanted it all in one, that's quite a long process. Um, if you're sitting across from me in a retail shop and you're filling in everything for me and we're just sitting having a conversation, you know, I'm sitting there, maybe, maybe not now. <laughs> Obviously, this is when it's business as usual, not in times of coronavirus. But if we're sitting there in the shop and we're going through all of that, you're doing it all for me. And just so, Rod, you know, what sort of plan do you want? Do you want this? Do you want that? You know, what sort of phone are you looking for? We can do all of that. When I'm doing that online, it's a long process. Right. And customers get bored with it. So there are certain processes, there are certain things that are better placed within the shop. And I think you then start to change the role of the shop. Now, I don't want to get into, you know, 
it wasn't my job to look at commissions or anything like that. But I think what the team started to look at was a, a changing role of the shop. So the, the shops became much more experiential. So rather than it be about necessarily about commissions and stuff, it, it was more at a strategic level was to change the role of the shop. I mean, if you look at a brand like Nespresso, Nespresso, there's a, there's a great sort of case study, if you have a look at a brand like Nespresso, of how they changed their retail shops. Their retail yep. shops became far more about the experience in the shop rather than stacking them high with, with product and you know having boxes all over the place. They were much more about the retail experience because, and I, I don't drink coffee, but, but there is a sort of experience around a really great cup of coffee and, and the you know, all of that sort of side of it. And that's what you were getting in the shops. That then transferred over to the online. So it was a very seamless experience between the offline and the online. But they just reimagined how they, you know, how they saw their, their retail environment. And I think that was probably more what, you know, was happening over on the telco side, was just reimagining the way that the shops, the positioning of the shops. Cool. Interesting. I think we got a lot of Good content here and also interesting for us to hear about your journey with Starhub and a bit of Lenovo. Thanks so much for all of the input, Rod, and I hope you have a great day. Thank you for listening to this episode of Lost in Transformation with our host Sebastian from Ming Labs. If you enjoy our podcast, please subscribe to our channel and leave us a review on iTunes. Join us next time for another episode of our podcast. Thank you.